When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. A podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you once again for listening. We've got a lot to cover on today's episode. In part one, we'll get caught up on all the latest news and transfer rumors around Napoli. In part 2, we'll review our Primavera match against Pescara on the 13th. And in part 3, we'll preview our big match on Sunday against Roma. So let's start with the news. The transfer rumors have really heated up this week. We are linked to a number of players and there are plenty of rumors about potential departures and arrivals as well. So let's start with the departures. Corriere dello Sport are reporting that if Napoli do not make it to the Champions League, a number of players could be sold to offset the loss in revenue. One of the names on that list is Alex Meret, who Corriere suggests could reunite with Carlo Ancelotti at Everton. I do not see that happening. Meret is our future keeper, and I think he'll become the number one again when we get a new coach, just like he did under Ancelotti. Gazzetta dello Sport are reporting that Caladu Koulibaly and Fabian Ruiz will both leave the club in the summer. I can definitely see Fabian moving on. According to Calcio Mercato, Fabian has requested a transfer. He is under contract until 2023, but the reports are that the player and the club were not able to agree on an extension due to a difference in salary expectations. Calcio Mercato claimed that Fabian is demanding a salary of 4 million euros per season, while the club is only willing to pay 1.5 million. The problem is Napoli reportedly value Fabian at 50 million euros, which sounds about right to me, but the potential buyers in Spain like Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid would only be willing to pay 25 to 30 million euros. 
That's less than what we paid to acquire Fabian from Real Betis in 2018. Now, most of that fee, if not all of it, would be fully amortized, so any sale on Fabian would be recorded as a profit. The question then becomes what price will Napoli accept, and I think in part, that answer depends on where we finish in the table. If we finish in the top 4, we'd be less desperate to generate cash because we know it would be coming in in the form of Champions League revenue, but if we miss the top 4, there's a good possibility we accept a lower offer, maybe not that low, but a lower offer than 50 million to offset the lost revenue. As far as Koulibaly goes, I don't think he's leaving the club. I've said this before and I'll say it again, he's far more valuable to us than whatever other clubs are willing to pay for him. We're not going to accept a lowball offer like 45 million euros for him, nor should we. We'd have to use most of that money to buy replacement players that won't be as good, so why even bother? I know people think that he may leave to join a bigger club in order to win the Champions League. Of course, that's every player's dream to win the Champions League, but it's not guaranteed even if he joins a club like Liverpool or PSG. I also think that if he really wanted to win the Champions League, he would have left sooner. I know we've been competing in the tournament for the better part of the last decade, but we were always heavy underdogs to win it. Anything could happen, but had he joined a bigger club sooner, he would have dramatically improved his odds. If he didn't do it before, then I don't see why he would do it now. Finally, LCT Sai and Nikola Maksimovic are expected to walk away from Napoli when their contracts expire at the end of this season. According to Il Messaggero, Lazio are a potential destination for Maksimovic. So those are the potential departures. Next, let's take a look at some of the potential arrivals. First, according to Gazzetta dello Sport, Napoli continue to follow Roma's Jordan Vertu. I'd be very surprised if Roma let Vertu go. Gazzetta are also reporting that Napoli are following Verona's Federico Di Marco and Barcelona's Junior Firpo as options on the left wing. And Gazzetta are suggesting that Koulibaly will leave and his replacement could be Feyenoord's Marco Senesi, who would cost about 15 million euros. According to Corriere dello Sport, Napoli have a handshake agreement with Hellas Verona to sign Mattia Zaccani, but nothing is official and anything can happen in the Mercato. They also report that Napoli are tempted by Alkmaar's holding midfielder Toon Coop Miners. According to Tutto Sport, Napoli and Milan both like 19-year-old Santos striker Caio Jorge, who they said would cost about 25 million euros. His agent, Carlos Neto, spoke to Radio Kiss Kiss earlier in the week. He said Napoli is a great club, who the talented Maradona played for, as well as a couple of Brazilians who played with Maradona in Careca and Alemão. He said he has not had any direct contacts with the club, but he's not surprised that there is interest in Europe because Jorge is a modern striker with class, talent, and Brazilian imagination. Calcio Mercato are reporting that Cristiano Giuntoli is also looking for young backups for Giovanni Di Lorenzo, and that player could be Saint-Étienne's Emam Moufek. The Franco-Moroccan right-back has made 13 appearances this season between Ligue 1 and the Coupe de France. Calcio Mercato are also reporting that both Roma and Napoli are enchanted by Parma youngster Valentin Mihaila. Finally, Ashraf Hakimi's agent Alejandro Camano spoke to Radio Kiss Kiss Napoli on Wednesday. When he was asked if Hakimi could join Napoli, he gave the typical agent response, which was, why not? He added, for me, like all Argentines, Napoli is the team of my heart, the greatest of all played there, and therefore we are not ruling out anything for the future. I highly doubt Hakimi joins Napoli. First of all, he would be too expensive. Second, I think these rumors started because of Inter's financial situation, but with Inter on the verge of winning the Scudetto, barring a late-season meltdown, Inter's financials should improve. 
There are already reports that Suning are back to looking for a minority investor again and will not sell the club. As far as coaches go, Corriere dello Sport are reporting that if Napoli qualify for the Champions League, Max Allegri would be the preferred option. Personally, I don't see that happening because of how much Allegri would cost. The paper adds that if Napoli does not qualify for the Champions League, alternatives would be Rafa Benitez and Paolo Fonseca. Personally, I don't want Benitez. I'm just not a big fan of bringing back someone from the past. And the same can be said for Maurizio Sarri. A lot of people have suggested that Benitez could be a replacement for Cristiano Giuntoli as a sporting director. I don't like that idea either. I don't think Giuntoli gets enough credit, but that's a topic for another day. Perhaps I'll do a feature on Giuntoli during the international break. As far as Fonseca goes, you can only hire him if Roma does not qualify for the Champions League. If they do, either by winning the Europa League or by finishing in the top four in Serie A, then Fonseca's contract would automatically renew for a year. Finally, Gazzetta dello Sport claimed that Napoli are monitoring Simone Inzaghi's situation at Lazio. Inzaghi is a great coach and I'd love to have him at Napoli, but I don't see this happening either. I think if he leaves Lazio, it would be to join a Serie A team that will compete for the Scudetto like Inter or Juve. Right now, Napoli are just too similar to Lazio, at least as far as position in the table goes. Yes, we have a deeper squad, but we're also not built to play a 3-5-2. So in my mind, we'd have to overhaul our attack. In other news, Fernando Llorente has been quite vocal about Napoli since he joined Udinese. In a recent interview with EFE News Agency, he talked about how the club gave up on him after Ancelotti left. He said they gave me no space to play and they wanted me to leave, always speaking highly of Udinese. He added that he had a good relationship with Gattuso and that Gattuso treated him with respect, but the club bought Osimhen and Patania so Gattuso probably had to give them priority. After his injury and then the lockdown, he said the club took his number away and made him train separately with Arkadiusz Milik and Adam Munas. I appreciate where Llorente is coming from, obviously every player wants to play but he also needs to accept that sometimes these things do happen with a coaching change. He became the odd man out, particularly after the Patania signing. Of course, Osiman would be ahead of him for the price that we paid for Osiman. Patania and Llorente are basically the same type of player, and Patania is 11 years younger, so I'm not surprised that Patania took priority over Llorente either. Moving on, I want to quickly talk about Marat Football Management, who was in the news but for some reason didn't make too many headlines. That is the sports agency that employs agent Mario Giuffredi, who happens to represent a couple of Napoli players including Mario Rui, Giovanni Di Lorenzo, and El Cid Hisai. The Guardia di Finanza, which is a police agency under the authority of the Minister of Economy and Finance rather than the Ministry of Defense, seized 1.6 million euros from the agency. The legal representative of the company, as well as five other people, are being investigated for fraud. According to Gazzetta dello Sport, Marat paid for services that were never performed. The money, which was then paid into the accounts of amateur clubs, was slowly withdrawn by third parties in small amounts and then deposited back into the accounts of Marat. The prosecutors discovered the abnormalities after analyzing transactions carried out between 2018 and 2019 that amounted to over 3 million euros. Fortunately, none of the players have been impacted in the charges. In all likelihood, they had no idea this was even going on. I'll close the news with a quick update on the upcoming international break. For those who don't know, after the Roma match on Sunday, which is the 28th round of Serie A, there's a two-week international break before Serie A resumes on April 3rd for the 29th round. 
As always, we will have a number of players on international duty. We'll have three players with the Azzurri. Alex Meret has been called up to join the keepers. Giovanni Di Lorenzo has been called up again to play at right back, which is a position of relative uncertainty with the Azzurri. Alessandro Florenzi is probably in the lead for the starting role. Finally, Lorenzo Insigne is amongst the forwards to be called up and will likely be the starting left winger. Of course, that means Matteo Politano did not get the call up once again. I think that's a bit harsh. Really what it comes down to is who should be selected between Politano and Federico Bernardeschi. I know people have talked about Vincenzo Grifo, but our friend Antonio, who we had on Forza Napoli Worldwide, says Grifo has been very good for Freiburg in the Bundesliga this season. Also, Grifo is a left winger, and as far as I'm concerned, Politano is strictly a right winger. Perhaps he can play on both sides, but he hasn't played on the left wing since he left Sassuolo to join Inter. The alternatives at right wing are Domenico Berardi, Federico Chiesa, who can play on both sides, and Federico Bernardeschi. Now, Chiesa and Berardi are clearly ahead of Politano in the pecking order, so that leaves only Bernardeschi. Personally, I think Politano has done far more for Napoli than Bernardeschi has done for Juve this season. Sure, Bernardeschi is bigger, but you generally don't need height on the wings, and he rarely scores any goals, let alone with his head. Bernardeschi can also play on both sides, but with Insigne, El Shirawi, Grifo, and Chiesa, you don't really need any more left wingers, so I think Politano deserves to be there. Italy play their World Cup qualifying Group C matches against Northern Ireland on the 25th, Bulgaria on the 28th, and Lithuania on the 31st. I'll very quickly list off the other Napoli players that will be on international duty starting from the back. Kaladu Kalibali will join Seneca for the African Cup of Nations. Senegal play Congo on March 26th and then Eswatini on March 30th in Group I action. Those two matches complete the group stage. I haven't seen any official confirmations but you would expect LCT side to join Albania for their World Cup qualifiers. They play Andorra on the 25th. England on the 28th, and San Marino on the 31st in Group I action. Amir Rachmani was called up to the Kosovo national team, but we'll see if he's able to play given his injury. Kosovo play a friendly against Lithuania on the 24th, followed by World Cup Group B qualifying matches against Sweden on the 28th, and Spain on the 31st. Nikola Maksimovic and Mario Rui were not called up to Serbia and Portugal respectively, which is understandable given their play this season. Moving on to the midfield, Diego Deme and Timoy Bakayoko also did not get the call-up to Germany and France respectively. That's not a surprise either. Those two teams are both stacked with players. Amin Yunus, who's currently on loan to Freiburg, did get a much-deserved call-up to the Germanal national team though. Stanislav Lobotka will join the Slovakian national team. Presumably by then he would have recovered from tonsillitis. Slovakia play on the 24th against Cyprus, on the 27th against Malta, and on the 30th against Russia in Group H. Fabian will play for Spain in Group B action. Spain play against Greece on the 25th, Georgia on the 28th, and Kosovo on the 31st. Piotr Zielinski will play for Poland again in Group I. They play against Hungary on the 25th, Andorra on the 28th, and England on the 31st. Finally, up top, Dries Mertens will join Belgium for their matches in Group E. They play against Wales on the 24th, Czech Republic on the 27th, and Belarus on the 30th. Victor Osman will play for Nigeria in the African Cup of Nations group stage matches. The Super Eagles play against Benin on the 27th and Lesotho on the 30th. Lastly, Chucky Lozano has been called up for Mexico's friendly matches against Wales on the 27th and Costa Rica on the 30th. So that will do for part one. 
Coming up next, we'll review our Primavera match against Pescara. In part 2, we'll review our Primavera team's round 13 match against Pescara. The Primavera played this match on Saturday. Even though this was match day 13, it was only the 9th match that we've played this season, which is fewer than any other team in the Primavera Due B. We've had a number of games postponed as a result of COVID. In fact, our last 3 matches against Lernitana, Spezia, and Lecce were all postponed, so this was our first match since we played our match day 2 makeup game on February 24th. It just so happens that that match was against Pescara as well. Pescara and two other teams, Entella and Pisa, had played 12 games so far, which is the most in the league. Pescara came into this match undefeated with a record of 8 wins, 4 draws, and no losses. Even if the clubs below them won their games in hand, Pescara would still be top of the table. After a strong start to the season, we had only won one of our previous four matches. We drew Antella 1-1, then we beat Benevento 3-2, before losing back-to-back games. First, we lost to Pisa 3-1, then we lost to Pescara 2-0. It certainly didn't help that during that stretch, goalkeeper Hubert Dasiak, centre-back Davide Costanzo, and forwards Antonio Trofi and Giuseppe D'Agostino were all with the senior team. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Pescara lined up in a 4-4-2 with Alessandro Sorrentino in goal. Davide Veroli and Alessandro Chiacchia played at centre-back. Alessio Pediccione started at left-back and Gianluca Longobardi played at right-back. Marco Daiola and Salvatore Tringali played in the centre of the midfield with Nicolas Mercado on the left wing and Marco Chiarella on the right wing. Finally, Nicolas Belloni and Vladislav Blanuta played as the dual strikers. For Napoli, Emmanuel Cascione lined up in his usual 3-4-1-2 formation. With Davido Spina back in the senior squad, Hubert Dasiak returned to the Primavera to start in goal. With Davide Costanzo still with the senior squad, Nello Donofrio started in the middle of the back three. Oscar Guarino played on the left side and Jonathan Spedalieri played on the right. Raffaele Virgilio and Brando Sami played in the center of the midfield. Davide Acampa played on the left wing and Benedetto Barba played on the right wing. Antonio Vergara started over Gennaro Iaccarino as the trequartista. Iaccarino has not been in the squad for Napoli's last two matches. Giuseppe D'Agostino also returned from the senior team now that Victor Osman and Dries Mertens are back, while Antonio Cioffi stayed with the senior team while Chucky Lozano continues to recover. D'Agostino started alongside Giuseppe Ambrosino in the front two. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. This was another disappointing performance for the Azzurini. The match started with a very high tempo and it wasn't long before Pescara found the back of the goal. Pescara opened the scoring only 9 minutes into the match. 
Carella crossed from the right edge of the area and Belloni head from the top of the 6-yard box into the side netting at the far post. That was Belloni's 7th goal of the season. Less than 2 minutes later, Pescara doubled their lead. Once again, Carella was involved in the play. He had the initial shot attempt from a tight angle on the right side of the goal. Idasiak made the save, but Donofrio was not able to control the rebound. Carella poked it to Blanuta in front of the goal. Idasiak made a ridiculous save on Blanuta's initial effort, but the rebound fell for him and he smashed his second effort into the back of the goal. Neither side created a whole lot until late in the half. D'Agostino dribbled past two Pescara players before firing a shot on target, but Sorrentino made the save. About five minutes later, Pescara scored a third. Carella was rewarded with his strong play with a goal from a corner kick. This was a very difficult technique to use. Carella volleyed the ball with the instep of his right foot on the corner that was played to the near post. Idasiak saw the ball late and wasn't able to get enough on the shot to keep it out, so Pescara went into the break with a commanding 3-0 lead. The second half started far more positively for Napoli. We pushed in the attack. Valerio Labriola, who replaced Acampa at the break, had a shot blocked shortly after the restart. Then in the 53rd minute, Ambrosino had a shot blocked before Labriola fired straight at the keeper. Napoli continued to push and a few minutes later we were awarded a penalty kick after Belloni handled the ball in the area. Ambrosino stepped up to take the penalty. Unfortunately, he hit the upright and the score remained 3-0. Things went from bad to worse for Napoli after that. Spedalieri picked up an injury which he tried to play through, but he would have to be taken out. Mauro Seppe came off the bench to play on the right side of the back three. It was end-to-end -end action after that. First, Pescara came close to scoring their fourth, but Barba made a great play to clear Carella's shot off the line while avoiding an own goal. Napoli came back the other way with Ambrosino, but his effort was stopped by Sorrentino. Napoli were awarded their second penalty of the match in the 68th minute after right back Longobardi fouled D'Agostino in the area. This time Labriola took the penalty which he fired straight into the center of the goal to make the score 3-1. Pescara were awarded a penalty of their own in the 74th minute. Once again Carella was involved. He was the clear man of the match for me. He played a sombrero over Guarino and substitute Flavio Romano on the right wing to get into the area. It looked like he showed Virgilio too much of the ball, but Carella managed to get there just before Virgilio, who apparently committed a foul in the area. I say apparently because it looked to me like Carella just threw himself into Virgilio and then went to the ground, but the penalty was still given. Carella took the penalty himself, hesitating before shooting to Idasiak's right. Idasiak guessed correctly, but wasn't able to keep the shot out. That was Kerela's second of the match, and with that goal, he joined Belloni with seven goals on the season. Napoli responded really well. Only a minute after that goal, Furina headed Vergara's cross into the top corner, so both goal scorers were substitutes. Despite spending most of the match down by two, our boys continued to fight. In the 94th minute, we scored a third from a corner kick. D'Agostino played an in-swinging corner kick with his preferred left boot that got all the way through to the back post. Guarino did really well to upmuscle Chiacchia on the play before tucking his shot under Sorrentino. Due to injuries and a mini scrum that broke out, we had nearly 10 minutes of stoppage time, but nothing came of it and in the end, we fell just short. This was our third consecutive loss and we've now won only one of our last five matches. As a result, we've dropped down to 10th in the table, which is 3rd from the bottom on 11 points. Mind you, we've played fewer games than any other team. We've played 9 games, Spezia have played 10, 
four teams have played 11 games, three teams have played 12 games, and the other three teams have played 13 games. In other words, we have up to four games in hand on some of the teams above us, so obviously we'd be much higher in the table if we won them all. The Azzurini will be back in action on Saturday to play our home fixture against Regina. This will be the first meeting this season between these two clubs, as we've yet to play our makeup game from round four. That will do for part two. In part three, we'll return to the senior team and preview our match on Sunday against Roma. final part we'll preview another huge match this Sunday against Roma. Before I get into this match I want to take a minute to talk about the letter that Roma sent to Lega Serie A for those who may not be aware or may not have all of the details. The letter was issued on Saturday March 13th. In fact even before sending the letter Paolo Fonseca had some interesting comments in his pre-match conference for Roma's previous match against Parma. When asked about the postponement of the Juve-Napoli game, he said, Honestly, I don't like to comment when I don't know the reasons for moving the game. Preparing three games in a week is different from preparing two. We will have to prepare a match with Napoli immediately after the one in Ukraine. As a coach, it is difficult to understand why they postponed it, but if I were Gattuso, it would be normal to prefer not to play Juve-Napoli. So those were Fonseca's comments. Shortly after that, a letter was sent by Roma CEO Guido Fienga, to Lega Serie A president Paolo Dalpino and CEO Luigi De Siervo. The letter made reference to the Lega Serie A decision to move the Juve Napoli match that was supposed to be played on March 17th to April 7th, quote, at the request of Juventus FC and SSC Napoli. The letter then argued that this postponement did not meet the official regulations of Lega Nazionale Professionisti Serie A. According to Article 29, Paragraph 2, requests to postpone matches must be made in writing at least 15 days before the date on which the match is to take place. Thus, Fienga requested to know when these requests were sent from the two clubs to confirm whether they complied with that regulation. Moreover, Fienga asked to be made aware of the sporting reasons that formed the basis for the postponement. Fienga concluded that there was no adequate justification for the postponement except for the implicit one of favoring Napoli. By moving the match, Fienga claimed, the league was allowing Napoli more time to prepare for the match against Roma as well as more time to rest their players. Meanwhile, as the league was aware, Roma were scheduled to fly to Ukraine on Thursday for their second leg of the Europa League tie against Shakhtar Donetsk. All of this was known by the league, so Fienga concluded that the decision to postpone the Juve-Napoli match appeared to have been taken with the sole intent of providing Napoli an unfair advantage at the expense of Roma. Fienga urged the league to take the most appropriate corrective measures, and given the proximity of the Europa League match against Shakhtar, formally requested the postponement of the Roma-Napoli game to a later date. 
Like I said, yeah, I responded on Monday, clarifying that there are two types of postponements, one for clubs that are involved in European competition and another for clubs who are not. The paragraph in Article 29 that Fianga referenced in his letter, which describes the 15-day notice period, applies to the former, namely to clubs that are in European competitions. Juve and Napoli are no longer participating in European competition, therefore the latter type of postponement applies, and that type does not have a minimum notice period, nor must there be suitable reasons of sporting interest. All of that seems fine to me. The part of the response I did not like from the league was that they said they had assumed their operational practice of postponing matches when the two clubs agreed to do it. Surely that cannot be, and I think this is the real issue. We can't have club presidents looking at their respective schedules and simply agreeing to move matches when they have consecutive matches against tough opponents. I don't think Roma took the right approach though. The letter was so strongly written that it was never going to be well received by the league. If anything, it would only put the league on the defensive. That's essentially what Fianga's reaction was to the league's response. He was in court for Roma's appeal of the loss on the table early in the season to Hellas Verona when the club put Amadou Diawara on the wrong player list. The decision was upheld by the way so this was a pretty lousy week for Roma but Fianga said he had nothing to add to his letter which was quite clear. He then went on to add to what was in the letter and once again his choice of words were quite strong. He said he doesn't want to comment on the league's response because it's more ridiculous than the decision itself. He asked can you imagine what would happen if all that was required to move a match was agreement between two clubs. Again he closed with some pretty strong words saying we are not thinking of anything except to make our championship and push so that there are no longer such partial and subjective behaviors within a league that has gaps in governance and management. Finally, Napoli's lawyer Enrico Lubrano responded in an interview with Radio Kiss Kiss. He basically reiterated what the league said. He said it is up to the league's president's discretion and therefore the moving of the match was absolutely legitimate. Perhaps the Roma brass should have tried to move the Parma match as well. Parma had more time to rest and prepare for their match against Roma. While Roma were busy fighting to move the game against Napoli, the club failed to show up for their game against Parma. Not to take anything away from Parma because they actually played a great game, especially their youngsters Valentin Mihaila and Dennis Mann up top, but perhaps this whole thing was an unneeded distraction for the players. Ironically, with their big 3-0 win over Shakhtar in the first leg of the Europa League tie, rest probably won't be an issue for Roma. We'll get to that in just a little bit, but first, let's get to the starting lineups. Paulo Fonseca lines up in a 3-4-2-1 formation. Paulo Lopez will start again in goal. He's been surprisingly good for Roma lately. He has 9 clean sheets in all competitions. Now, only 4 of those have been in Serie A, but he has been making some massive saves for Roma. Roma continue to be depleted at the back, Chris Smalling continues to deal with a muscular issue and on Thursday Roger Ibanez had to be removed at the half after he collided heads with Marash Kumbula on a Shakhtar corner kick so we'll have to see if he makes it into the starting 11. If he doesn't we'll likely see Kumbula start in the center of the back three with Gianluca Mancini on the left and the ever versatile Brian Cristante on the right. Even without Jordan Vertu, Roma have a very strong midfield. I think we'll see Amadou Diawara and Lorenzo Pellegrini play in the center of the midfield. We could potentially see Gonzalo Villar with Diawara so that Pellegrini can play closer to the goal. Leonardo Spinazzola should start on the left wing and Rick Karsdorp should start on the right wing. If Pellegrini starts in a deeper position, then Stefan El Shirawi and Pedro will likely start as the two trequartisti. Finally, Borja Mayoral seems to have overtaken Edin Dzeko 
as the starting striker. For Napoli, Gattuso will line up in his usual 4-2-3-1 formation. David Ospina is usually the preferred keeper in big matches, so I'll take him to start over Alex Meret. Kaladu Koulibaly will start at centre-back, of course. We'll see who he's paired with. Amir Rachmani won't be in the squad, but Kostas Manolas will. The question is whether he'll be fit to start against his former club. I think we're going to see Nikola Maksimovic again. Giovanni Di Lorenzo is suspended for this match, so LCT Sai will have to start at right-back, which means Mario Rui will have to start at left-back. Since we didn't have a midweek fixture against Juventus, since we didn't play that midweek fixture against Juventus, I don't expect too many changes to the front six. Diego Demme and Fabian Ruiz should start in the double pivot. Lorenzo Insigne will start on the left wing. Chucky Lozano will be back in the squad, but I don't expect him to start after missing so much time. However, he could be a very useful option off the bench, particularly if we fall behind. Matteo Politano limped off the field in the Milan game, but there has been nothing in the training reports to suggest that he has anything serious, so I think he'll start again on the right wing. Piotr Zielinski will start again in the number 10 spot. Finally, the big question mark is who will start at striker. I know most Napoli fans want to see Victor Osimhen get the start, but we're unbeaten in our last five games in all competitions. That includes the win in the second leg against Granada. We have three wins and a draw in our last four Serie A matches. Mertens started in all four of those matches. Granted, other than the Benevento game which he scored in, he has not been very good. However, Gattuso doesn't really like change and regardless of how Mertens has played lately, we've still been getting results. I think there's also something to be said about having a weapon like Osaman to bring in off the bench. I know we paid 70 million euros for him, but I don't think that really influences Gattuso's decision. Obviously, Osman has a ton of pace, and that's even more effective off the bench when the opposition defense is tired. Lately, it seems like there has been a plan to play Mertens for about 55 minutes and then Osman for the remaining 35, so Mertens can run harder knowing that he won't be playing the full 90. Now, we will have Lozano on the bench, so that actually is an argument for starting Osman because you might not need two weapons off the bench. In the end, this is a great problem to have. There was a point in time not too long ago where we had to play a front two of Lorenzo Insigne and Matteo Politano because we had no fit strikers. We'll just have to wait and see who Gattuso goes with. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. The first key to the match is we need to be mentally prepared. We cannot assume that this will be an easy match because Roma are playing on short rest. To be honest, I think too much is being made about the fact that Roma played on Thursday. Fonseca was able to rest a bunch of players in the second leg. Gianluca Mancini only played the second half. He probably wouldn't have featured at all, but Roger Ibanez picked up that knock. Spinazzola, Karsdorp, and Diawara all played slightly less than 60 minutes. That was largely because of Borja Mayoral's goal early in the second half, which meant that Shakhtar would need to score 5 goals in the second half to get through. Mayoral scored a brace in that match, so he's now second top scorer in the Europa League with 7 goals, and all the other top scorers have been eliminated, so he could well finish the tournament's top scorer. Roma drew Ajax in their quarterfinal match, so that will not be an easy tie. Lorenzo Pellegrini and Stefano Sharawi both started on the bench for the second leg. Pellegrini only played half an hour, and El Sharawi only played 15 minutes. And it wasn't just about who played, but also how they played. Roma played a very controlled, very disciplined game. They sat back and allowed Shakhtar to hold the ball, which is a luxury that Roma earned by winning the first leg by such a big margin. 
So even the players who played the full 90 used as little energy as possible. So I don't think rest will be a big problem for Roma. If anything, the advantage Napoli will have is that we've had more time to prepare for this match. Roma would have returned home late on Thursday or early Friday, leaving a maximum of two days to train ahead of the Napoli game. We also need to make sure that we don't let the result from the previous meeting get to our heads. That was our first Serie A match after the passing of Diego Maradona, so we were highly motivated to win that match. If anything, that result and now this letter that Fianga wrote will mean that Roma is extra motivated to win the return fixture. Our second key to the match is that we need to stop Roma on the wings. With Di Lorenzo suspended, we will have poor matchups on both sides. Hopefully Hisai can have another strong performance. He will need to in order to stop Leonardo Spinazzola, who's having one of the best seasons of his career. Mario Rui will be marking Rick Karsdorp. Karsdorp has also been very good for Roma on the right side. So those matchups worry me, especially if Edin Dzeko starts. Obviously, he's a bigger target with his size. I don't think he will start. I think Mayoral will. But Mayoral is a true striker and is very good with his head as well. That means our wingers will need to play a big role in helping to defend as they always do. Our final key to the match is we need to get Paulo Lopez moving. He has been very, very good lately, which I'm sure has been a pleasant surprise for Romanisti. Earlier in the season, it was more of the same from him, but lately he's really stepped up and made some massive saves. If you look at the goals that Roma have conceded lately, most of them have come on plays where Lopez was not able to be set for the shot. Against Parma, Mihaila scored on a cross in front of the goal, so Lopez was moving and Mihaila beat him through the legs. Fiorentina's goal came after another low cross from the left side of the area. Juve's second goal came from a play that started on the right wing before Kulusevski cut the ball across the face of the goal. The only goals that Lopez has conceded lately where he was set were on perfectly placed shots like Antti Rebic's goal in the Milan game and Cristiano Ronaldo's goal in the Juve game. So we'll need to get the Roma keeper moving, otherwise he could well steal the points for Roma. The head official for this match is Marco Di Bello. He's officiated 15 Napoli matches dating back to 2014. Napoli have a record of 12 wins, no draws, and 3 losses in those matches. He's done three Napoli matches this season, and they were all big ones. He officiated our 4-1 win over Atalanta, our 4-0 win over Roma, and then our 4-2 loss also to Atalanta. DiBello's assistants are Giorgio Piretti and Giacomo Paganessi. The fourth official is Giovanni Airoldi, and Alejandro Di Paoli is on the VAR, assisted by Dario Ceccioni. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. I'll give the goals to the two Lorenzos, Insigne and Pellegrini. I think this match is going to be much tighter than a lot of people think, just like our match against Milan was. Even though Milan were playing on short rest and were missing a number of key players, we only managed a 1-0 win. It was a very strong performance and a deserving victory, but still a tight match. Likewise, I think this will be a tight match as well. I don't think rest will be an issue, and even though Roma have had less time to prepare, Paolo Fonseca is an excellent manager, and he's certainly more tactically inclined than Gattuso is. Even without Mkhitaryan and Vertu, Roma have plenty of quality in this squad, both in the attack and in the midfield. This is obviously an important match for both of these clubs. If we win, we pull three points clear of Roma, and vice versa if they win. Atalanta have a tough match against Hellas Verona, so hopefully they drop some points there. Verona laid an egg against Milan, but they'll be playing this one 
on full rest. Juve played Benevento and Milan played Fiorentina, so you would expect Juve and Milan to pick up wins in those matches, and Lazio have a tricky fixture against Udinese, so they could draw points there as well. A draw against Roma would not be a terrible result, but it would allow Juve and Atalanta to extend their leads over us, so we definitely don't want that to happen. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the match. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. We'll be recording another episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide after the Roma match, so stay tuned for that. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.